There you go. This song dedicated to the wonderful Tabitha, Heaven in Your Eyes, for Power Ballad Friday. Does anybody know where this song came from? What film? Text me 2101. Have it a bit of a listen. What is the film? I'll try anything to keep it working. You gave me time to find out what my heart was looking for and what I'm feeling inside. Well, that's right. Power Ballad Friday. Actually, you had a bit of a um, wedding proposal uh, for us, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, mine's, mine's probably the least romantic one. It makes you all ring in a paper bag sound positively Casanovian. Uh, <laughs> no, me, me and my now wife, Michelle, we were doing a series of comedy shows in Las Vegas. And one afternoon I turned to her and said, hey... Shall I find out how easy it really is to get married in Vegas? And she said yes. And that was that. <laughs> <laughs> and 48 hours later, uh, we, we were standing in the little white wedding chapel and uh, that, that's the rest, as they say, is history. Gorgeous. Very, very good indeed. Jeremy Alwood and uh, Heather Roy with me uh, this afternoon. Already a bit of response on this uh, topic here. Uh, a 500-gram jar of roses marmalade, now 375 grams at same price. Um, Sultana pasties dipped in chocolate, a half the size, twice the price now. Plus Vogel's bread, I think, feels smaller, says uh, Christina. Uh, so to this, shrinkflation is kicking off in France with a supermarket chain... Carrefour, Carrefour, putting warning signs on shelves to warn shoppers of smaller packet sizes without a smaller price tag. Naming and shaming. They're calling out a range of products from lint chocolate to Lipton iced tea. Carrefour is Europe's leading grocery retailer. It's a massive store and is hoping that the signs will put pressure on manufacturers to rethink their uh, pricing Policy with us is Dr. Bodo Lang, Professor of Marketing at Massey University. Uh, Professor Lang, welcome. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Very well, thank you. Go the French, do you think? What do you make of this naming and shaming? Well, I think this is highly interesting, Wallace. It's something that I have never heard of. Um, I think it's highly innovative and. You can view it from multiple angles. Maybe the first one is, you know, it's a great way to deflect blame uh, of high food prices away from yourself, the retailer, to uh, the others, which are the manufacturers. So it's it's a great way of saying, look, with your torch, shine it somewhere else and, and have a look at that, you know. So it's a great way of, of just uh, just deflecting blame a little bit, I think. Yeah. But I certainly think it's it's very innovative, and I think it'll resonate really well with consumers because, you know, certainly New Zealand, but I'm sure overseas as well, we're all suffering from high food prices. And that's, I guess, what, what it's about, eh? Because um, shrinkflation is really a consumer issue. People feel really quite aggrieved that they are getting less but paying the same, Bodo. Absolutely. And I think if you if you think about grocery shopping, it looks so deceptively simple, right? Um, there are these big places called supermarkets and you just put things in your trolley. But if you really think about it and sit down, it is an incredibly complex decision um, to go shopping if you want to do a really good job, i.e. get the best deal. And shrinkflation makes it virtually impossible because you would have to literally reassess every product every time you go shopping 
to check that it's yeah. still the same price for the same amount. It's amazing the examples rolling through. Suddenly, Chiabata rolls are half the size. Six for $4.99 in my local new world. Uh, four normal size ones for five ninety let us go around the panel on this Heather Roy. Oh, for me, it's salmon. I noticed just recently that the price was the same, but the portion of salmon in the package had gone down from 150 grams to 100 grams. But look, I actually took the same approach that um, that Dr Lang did. I thought it was quite an innovative approach too. Um, and if the option is that the price goes up for the same amount, um, which is better? Do you still want to say that – are you happy to take a, a, a little less of the product – and keep the same price, or would you rather have the price go up if that's the option? Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's actually the manufacturers have to make money too. And I did think this exactly the same as Bodo that the supermarket chain is deflecting attention away from itself. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a very French response mm. in some ways. You know, in, in terms of they've always actually been a, a very uh, progressive nation when it comes to consumer satisfaction. You know, they're highly protective of French-made products. Um, so yeah, I, I I think the fact of of it's not even a deflection in quite in my view. It's just sort of it's it's highlighting. It's it's giving yeah. people. As as Heather says, it's giving you the choice. It's just it's information. It's letting you know, you know, this product is the same price but smaller. Yeah. Pringles went through a stage of that where the chip right. was the same but the chips got smaller. Uh, yeah. And look, people people do need to take some responsibility and read the labels. Bodo? I think this is such a fascinating topic. I think we could talk about this for an hour. I think maybe <laughs> one large I mean Yes, I agree. You know, ultimately, we're responsible for what we put in our trolley and what we put in our mouth. But of course, you know, making decisions in the supermarket is is really quite complicated, and it's such an information-rich environment. There's nothing like mm. it anywhere else. And you know, consumers would be would just spend hours if they really carefully checked it every time. So, technically, if you're fully rational, I would agree with you. But realistically, I think consumers just can't possibly fit that into a shopping trip to to check things. It's a really good I, point. That you know, you don't you don't go to the supermarket and, and stop in front of every product. You know, most of us, many of us, are doing supermarkets in between jobs. You know, or on your way home. Um, so the, the more information that you can put out, and in some ways, you know, if a supermarket is pointing out, just giving you a heads up that you're you're buying a smaller product, that's that's not a bad thing. I guess some people say, Bodo, the issue is that it feels like manufacturers are being sneaky. I think yeah, absolutely some will say that, and I think they would probably quite rightly say this because there's been some research overseas from the um, Economic Policy Institute um, done in the, in the States, and they looked at you know pre-COVID prices and, and um, COVID prices and the inflation during that period, and you know 53% of the price increases, uh, or actually nearly 54% of the price increases during that time during COVID. Uh, was due to excess profits. And so it's not, you know, we, we call it inflation, but actually often it is just excessive process, profit-taking and companies piggybacking on the argument that, well, you know, our costs have gone up, so we're just passing it on. But actually quite often their costs have gone up, but they're, they're passing on more than what their costs right. have gone up by. Yeah, a bit of response here. Shrinkflation is deceptive and thus it's anti-competitive if it's not made very clear, says one. Uh, Bronnie says the positive side to packaging is portion size is becoming smaller and 
you know, that uh, could well be a good thing. David asked the question, uh, about how much of the shrinkflation is due to the supermarkets putting the squeeze on suppliers to bolster their own profits? That is a great question because ultimately, you know, supermarkets, they are operating two businesses at the same time. They're selling somebody else's products, so, you know, Heinz or Watties or whatever, whatever it is, but they're also selling their own products, which are maybe PAMs and, you know, budget. And so I think it's an excellent question. And I think there's certainly a drive to be um, discretionary uh, from a supermarket's perspective in pointing out price rises if they're not your own product. So I'm sure that yeah. manufacturers are desperate trying to keep to certain price points, you know, under right. $3 or whatever, um, to keep in step with the with the retailer's brand. Heather? Yeah, one thing that I love on the supermarket labels are the price per 100 mils or 100 grams. And so it does make it, if you know to look for those on the labels where the price is, um, you can easily compare the prices of different products. You know, sometimes something will, one jar will have 400 mils and another will have 350, so you can compare the price that way. So I think, you know, yes, you mightn't have time to do that for every single thing, but it does. the, the ability is there to compare prices if you want to. Really interesting, uh, Bodo. Quite a bit of response to this. Annie says, we are paying for the extra cost of the new packaging required uh, as well. Uh, Dr. Langkiora, thank you for your time uh, on the panel on Friday. Bodo Lang, the Professor of Marketing at uh, Massey University. Yes, some interesting responses, uh, interesting examples rather coming through. Another one is New Zealand blueberry jam, budget wholemeal sliced (laughs) bread weighing less than other brands. Less, fewer but biscuits in the chocolate f- biscuit fewer, package. F- fewer yeah. biscuits, that's right. Whiskers <clears throat> cat biscuits, fourteen ninety nine for a two k bag. Now fourteen ninety nine for a one point five kg bag. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, it's really interesting. This this actually points out to me that this is a, a thing that people will notice when it's a specific thing. You know, when you, when it's yeah. one of your favourites and you suddenly open it. In my case, it's, it only happens when I get home. You know, I open the grocery bag and I look and go, "Oh, hang on, that's that's not the same size." But I love the fact that everyone has their has their one example, and uh, <laughs> says a lot about us as uh, as consumers. Uh, I was so annoyed a few years ago when I discovered that Cadbury's had weakened "quote unquote" their cocoa, and my students chocolate cakes all of a sudden were pale. I never bought it again and told all of my students. Um, but some people are looking at the the, the perhaps the positive side of it. Shrinkflation is a great way of dealing with obesity and overconsumption. The world can't continually consume more and more. At some point, we need to accept the world's resources are finite and shrinkflation is the way to do that, says uh, someone. It's a very generous take on it. I'll uh, I'll get them, yeah. (laughs) It's 15 away from 5. The pal, Jeremy Alwood, Heather Roy. Uh, Thank you so much for your company uh, this afternoon. Some Auckland residents are upset after more than 1,000 square metres of native trees were cut down for a housing development in Pukekohe. The trees were on private property. The move was given the green light by the Auckland Council, with spokesperson Craig Hobbs telling One News, quote, in this situation there was no protection on those trees, so we had no ability to say no. It's been a long-running saga, this, with us is Dr. Miles Barton, Secretary of the Tree Council. Uh, Dr. Barton, kia ora. Kia ora. This is a legal operation. Was it inevitable? 
Well, it, it shouldn't have been inevitable because we should have legal protection for urban trees uh, in our legislation, which was removed by the National Act Government in 2012. And if that had been put back in by Labour at any time over the last 10 years, then this situation would at least have gone through a consenting process and a public notification and we could have had a, a discussion about protecting these very high-quality biodiversity um, areas of native trees. I'd be interested to hear from our listeners, uh, has, has there been a large tree near you or around your area which has just um, all of a sudden been chopped down? I know in our area there's been quite a few just suddenly, surreptitiously gone burgers. Um, there was a report, in fact the Environment Commissioner, Simon Upton, said in March... Auckland lost up to 30% of its green space since 1980, uh, Mel. So this is quite a deep issue, isn't it? It's a hugely deep issue. And, you know, there's always this false dichotomy argument rolled out about that we have to have houses and therefore we can't have trees like it's a competition between the two. And and that's not true because other cities that are far more dense and have far greater populations than Auckland have no problem whatsoever in having at least double the, the amount of tree cover that we've got. And um, Singapore has nearly 30% with 5.5 million people. Even Tampa, Florida, 3 million people has 36% tree cover so Auckland's doing really badly on 18% tree cover with only 1.7 million people and you know there are many cities around the world that do far better than we do and in a warming climate we can't afford not to have trees in our cities so you know the, the fact that we don't have legal protection for them and the, the, the um, national government the national party is proposing throwing out the, the newly passed natural and built environments Act which would introduce some form of tree protection back into law um, is really concerning because for city dwellers who are going to have to live in these really hot um, cities with no temperature remediation, storms not being um, captured by the trees um, and more flooding, then what kind of a life is it going to be living in cities for people of the future? Are trees important uh, in an urban environment to you or should they, uh, in the final instance, make way for you know, more people to live? Heather? The short answer is yes, they are important. And look, I agree with Mel's point that it is possible to have both. And one of the things that I, I hope that we're going to see sooner rather than later is a freeing up of the Resource Management Act to, to free up more land uh, for the housing and so that some of the trees like this particular example can stay. But Mel's one of the things that I, I would have thought um, was that if native trees were felled, surely there was a requirement to plant some somewhere else. Is, was that the case here or not at all? I know I know that wouldn't have been the outcome you would have wanted, but at least as a, 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 as a help. Uh, not the case at all. And obviously, saplings don't replace the benefits mm. that you get from mature trees. And as far as expanding Auckland out into the green area is concerned, that's exactly the problem why these trees were felled, because this is in Pukekohe. This is not in central Auckland. This is in the green belt where the zoning has been changed to enable more development. And these are the kind of trees that you're going to lose if you continue to go out into that green belt. So that's not the answer either, I'm afraid. Well, if we want more more housing, the only other option is uh, high density housing. We presumably yeah, but, but have a similar problem. 
that's actually the better option. If you have very high density around your nodes and your transport nodes and your small city centres, then you will be able to keep those green areas in between. That's what other cities do. And it's about time we had grown-up planning in this country that protects both um, our green spaces and our tree assets, as well as enables a lot of people to live in in city areas. You know, the the, the time of having um, the, the, the quarter-acre section in the city is long gone, and we need to be having a compact city that is um, high density in the right places with urban design that's done really well to retain our green spaces Here's and, our, one. and our urban trees. A mature tortura was found on the next-door section last week to make way for development. It was right in the corner. It could have been kept perfectly legal. Your thoughts, Jeremy? Are yeah. they important or not? Well, I guess, I mean, you sort of answered this question, but... I'm amazed that this can happen so easily. You know, when when you know people who have the, the amount of resource consent you have to go through as an individual homeowner to take, mm, you know, true. to take trees down on your own property. The fact that you can fell a thousand was a thousand square meters of trees is is astonishing. But I completely agree with um, the idea that you know one of the things that makes a great city. I bang on about this a lot whenever I'm on the show, but there are certain things that make a great city, and one of them is green spaces. You know, one of my favorite places in the world is Stanley Park in Vancouver which is right on the doorstep of the city and it's a forest it's 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 gorgeous you can get away and um can i just can, can i just I'm, I'm actually quite stunned at this stat that we have less canopy mm. than singapore do we mm. just not realize mal's how bad it is because it's kind of a death by a thousand cuts yeah i think we don't realize how bad it is 18 percent of canopy cover and that doesn't include the waitakere ranges and the hanuas that's the urban area of auckland 18 percent in some of our local board areas it's as low as eight percent canopy cover eight percent i mean once you get below 10 you're really talking about there's no coming back from that it's seriously, seriously bad. And you can plant as many saplings as you like, but how many of those will be allowed to grow to maturity to provide these benefits and services that we are all going to depend on more and more as our cities warm? Yeah. Um, you know, we need to stop the chop. We need to stop chopping down mature trees. And you don't have to get a consent to remove trees on private property anymore. That's the whole point. That's the whole problem. That's why it's gone out of control. We estimate that we've lost... 750,000 mature trees from Auckland urban area over the last seven years since general tree protection was removed. That's a conservative estimate and that's without having wholesale removals of of development sites where everything has just been levelled. That's individual trees and we we got that from the ARB industry, the guys who are actually doing the removals, so it's probably a pretty accurate figure. All right, Mel's got up. Good to have you here. Thank you. That's uh, Mel's Barton there, Secretary of the Tree uh, Council. I had to cut down a large rewarewa tree with great sadness. It was close to my neighbour's house. I understood her concern with the increased power of storms. I could imagine the consternation of all the tuis, though, slamming on their brakes with nowhere to land up in the sky. I'll be planting more in a safer place, says Dale. Yeah. Uh, very good. Thanks uh, for your feedback on that. Finally, on Friday's show with AI on the rise, Love Actually star Kieran Knightley says... The major concern for actresses is protecting their voice, and she imagines copywriting her face as the next step, quote, unquote. Star Wars fans will recall that Peter Cushing was digitally re-resurrected as Grand Moff Tarkin. 
with CGI in 2019, which raised questions about using celebrity likeness. Can the law protect living actors from their likeness being generated by AI for the big screen? I thought, oh, let's get in Kate Duckworth, who, by the way, is going to be on the panel next week, but she is an intellectual property lawyer, well-suited for this topic. Kia ora, Kate. Kia ora, what I'm excited for this topic. What a winner. Well, let <laughs> Let me ask you straight, can you copyright a face? No, Kira Knightley needs to stick to her day job. She makes a much better actor than a lawyer. Why is that? I would have thought that you could copyright a face. It's her face. No one else uh, can use it. No one else should use it. It's Kira Knightley's property. Well, you, you can copyright things that you create, but... Uh, not, not in the way a human is created. Uh, so there may be other areas of law that would um, help Kira nightly out, but not copywriting her face. So if somebody takes a photograph of her or draws a, a lovely drawing of her, that could be protected by copyright, but not her mere existence. That might fall into some other areas of law, like personality rights or the Fair Trading Act, if you... Uh, one example uh, that happened a few years ago was that the top shop put an image of Rihanna on T-shirts without her permission. And she said, well, no, people will think that, that I've endorsed that product and I have not. Ah. Isn't that where this falls into image protection, though? Because if you're using an AI copy of somebody's face, how is that le- – and I assume it, that it, it would be, and that, hence why it's an issue – how is that legally different from using a photograph on a T-shirt? Yeah, well, if it's taken from a photograph of the person, which is probably where the AI is grabbing it from, is somewhere else on the internet, then it probably infringes a photograph somewhere existing on the internet, and and that's what AI does. So yes, that that would be an infringement, you're right, Jeremy. And would that apply to a moving image as well, like if you took a clip from one of her films and then replicated that, which is which is essentially what... Um, there's a big discussion about this happening in the writers' strike at the moment That's with right. the, the use of, oh. uh, of extras in movies basically mm-hmm. selling their image rights for mm-hmm. perpetuity. Um, does it yep. apply to moving images as well? Yes. Okay. Yes, it would, and that they can, create, they can be copyright works. So in a way, I mean, what you're saying, I mean, I agree with you that it's totally, um, I mean, obviously, when I say I agree with you, you're the expert, um, but you can't, you can't actually copyright your face. But there is, there is potentially a way of copywriting the use of your image, which has been taken from something else. Yeah, so okay. that, that's right. It's sort of the, the way you, you go about it, but it would be wrong to think... I, as a human, am a copyright work. Sure. Ah, oh, right, Heather, got you. Mm. Well, the other thing that the article, the headline on the, the article that we're talking about was a bit misleading, really, because Kira Knightley went on to talk about all sorts of other things, including about how hard it was being a mother. But mm. um, what she she was also talking about trying to, you know, she 100% agreed with regulating the internet, which is is clearly impossible. You know, the internet's huge. How, how do you actually even... Um, try to do that, or how would you uh, regulate it and then be able to enforce the regulation? Um, so I think I, I agree with your initial um, assessment, Kate, that she really should stick to her day job. <laughs> well, that, that is the, lots of countries around the world have created some quite strong laws around AI. New Zealand has not yet, and we are lagging behind. 
But the, the problem you're referring to, Heather, is what's called in law is extraterritoriality. Yeah. That, that is, the internet is the wild west and how do you mm. track people down and sue them and enforce your copyright or your personality rights or, yeah. or whatever it is. So it's the it's, it's not that the protection's not necessarily there in law, it's actually making it stick. Yes. Yeah. How, how far behind do you think the law is when it comes to AI? Well, I think that law generally is, you know, it, it's the tortoise, um, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily win the race. Uh, so I, I'd say it's reasonably far behind, and, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners and, and you as the panellists and Wallace will understand yeah. how slow it can be to get legislation Kate, through Parliament. good on you. We will talk next week. But for now, a big thank you to my wonderful panellists here, Jeremy Arwood, Heather Oye, and thank you to Sally Ward for producing the week. And I am Wallace Chapman. Wonderful having your company. I am back on Monday, 3.45. Stick around for Lisa Owen at Checkpoint.